the world through education. Each week we bring you a new idea, however big and bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host and my dad, Ryan Scott. Well, here we are once again on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Um, I am Ryan Scott. I am coming to you. Um, it is Sunday, March 14th, when I am recording this. Um, I'm looking out my back window, and where I'm at, the, the uh, Easter lilies are starting to pop up outside of our house, and that is always a wonderful sign around here because uh, that means spring is on the way. Um, that means, normally, that means quite a few runs to Lowe's uh, to buy flowers and mulch and everything else. Um, we live on five acres of land, and so during the spring, we love to plant and grow things and stuff, and so I'm super excited um, that winter, at least where I'm at, is coming to a close, and some better days are starting to come. Now, having said that, this guy that I am bringing today, I'm not sure if weather is quite to quite the same. Um, my friend with us today comes from the great west, the great state of Montana. Um, I am super, super envious of the surroundings that this dude is in. Um, in fact, as I record this next week, three of my friends and I are going on a three-day, 30-mile hike out in the, wood, the woods of southern Illinois. So, um, this guy literally is surrounded by nature, and at any point that he would want to, he could go out and just, you know, hike away in the Glacier National Park, and so I'm super jealous of that. Um, but having said that, today, my guest, um, my friend, actually, um, since the beginning of all of this COVID mess, is none other than Superintendent John Conan. Um, John hails from the Corvallis School District in Corvallis, Montana. He is a past president of the School Administrators of Montana, and he is a past president of the Montana Association of Elementary and Middle School Principals. He is an author, um, and I didn't know this about you, John. You are also um, a children's author, um, which absolutely uh, gives you like major points in my book. Um, and then finally, John has won quite a few prestigious awards and, and we'll get to the author uh, bit and we'll get to the awards a little bit later. But uh, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to take part. Uh, you've done an amazing job of pushing education forward. And I actually love the idea of this concept of the big ed idea. So kudos to you, buddy. Hey, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, a good buddy of ours, Hal, kind of pushed me in this direction, uh, pushed quite a few of us from our original uh, men and ed group. Uh, a lot of really, really, really good things sprung out of it. Um, and I don't know about you, but just this whole COVID thing has really, really, really um, shown a spotlight on the power of relationships. Now, you know what, it, this has probably been one of my toughest years, uh, not just because I went from a principal to a superintendent, but um, on top of that, try moving to a new location and not being able to go meet people as, well, as, as good as you can because you can't be face to face. And so trying to meet people and uh, develop relationships uh, via social media is a little bit more difficult as it, as it used to be. So um, just that move to superintendent, but that that move during COVID has, has uh, been a big hurdle, I think, to, um, you know, starting off somewhere new. Yeah, absolutely. And I, maybe I have this wrong, but did you move, was it Colorado you came from or, or were you in Montana as well? Yeah, just central Montana. It feels okay. like that. Though. Uh, I'm actually in Great Falls today, uh, visiting my uh, family, my parents in Great Falls. And uh, it's about three and a half hours away down to Corvallis, uh, which is in the mountains. It's in western Montana. So I moved from north central Montana up by the Canadian border, uh, moved down to central Mon or down to western Montana um, in the Bitterroot National Forest area. So okay, so so for any of my listeners out there, it, maybe it's just me, but I do detect a little bit of a Canadian accent. I don't know if that's because you grew up <laughs> next to the border, but there's a little bit of that. And it, listen, it's an endearing thing. I have 
several friends that I've met through all of this, this, uh, I guess this year of learning from uh, up around Toronto and around that area. So, you know, it's not a bad thing. Well, I won't throw out any Yash or Yabetcha stuff, but uh, <laughs> it does come out every once in a while. That's great. That's great. So, um, John, did I have it right? You are the superintendent and you were a past president of, at least in my state, two pretty big um, school administrator associations. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be able to um, come up through those organizations. We have a, a pretty tight-knit group in Montana. As you know, we um, have a huge state, but we, it, the number of school districts uh, is, we only have a little over 400 school districts in our state, so uh, you, you get to know everybody. And so yeah. able to uh, come up as a principal and get into um, the leadership roles at the state level um, has been exciting. Um, I've got to meet so many more people um, I am all about making those connections and, and finding people uh, that have like-minded um, strategies and ideas like I do. So um, that was probably the number one reason for doing that was to just to meet more people and to be around some, some fantastic people at the state level. So I've been lucky enough to uh, first be the president of our uh, state, state association. And then from there uh, was elected as the school-wide. There's a, a school-wide school administrators of Montana um, group that encompasses uh, seven different uh, has superintendents, high school principals, uh, elementary principals, special ed directors, uh, the technology group, um, and county superintendents. And so uh, all under one umbrella. And so it, it's one of the things in Montana that uh, we're lucky to have all these groups come together under one umbrella to um, kind of uh, you know, pack a punch when we want to get stuff done in Montana for education. And uh, that piece of it is, has been exciting to be a part of. Absolutely, man. Anytime you can get everybody at the same table is always a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so I did, I did talk to our listeners and said you had won some awards and you are also an author. Um, I'm dying to let you talk about real quick. What are the books that you have written? Sure, uh, three different guides, but uh, my favorite is a children's book called uh, Benjamin's Visit to Principal Reed's Office. It's about a kid that gets in trouble all the time and has to go to the principal's office. And uh, this principal handles things a little bit differently than uh, the principals that I had growing up. And uh, one of the things that's powerful in it, it has 16 different uh, social emotional learning strategies that the principal uses. And at the end of the book, uh, it kind of goes, walks you through each of those strategies and how it's used. So not only is it a, a book for kids to read, uh, but it's also for administrators and parents and um, teachers to read and see how we can, you know, deal with kids a little bit differently than, than just giving out a consequence and, and spanking like I had. Like I was at the <laughs> tail end of, uh, of, 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 of corporal punishment in Montana. Me too. Me too. I, I, I did get the paddle a couple of times. Right, right. You know, that is a really cool idea of a book. And I really like that. Um, having been a past elementary principal that saw discipline a little bit differently. And I, and I think we, we see things along the same line. So that's a really cool idea. Um, talk to us about those awards that you won, because I know there were some big ones. Wow. You know, it's kind of tough talking about awards and yeah, try to be humble with that piece of it. But I let's just say I've been uh, in the right place at the right time for several different things. Uh, uh, one of them, um, I was able to win the uh, presidential award for science. Um, cool. Got to meet President Obama. And I think that was probably the most powerful piece of all of it. But uh, the second most powerful piece was meeting all these principals from across the nation, from every state and uh, getting to learn from them uh, was pretty amazing. Uh, and um, lucky enough to be part of a school that uh, had a long tradition of excellence and we won the Blue Ribbon Award in 2012. Um, got to go back to Washington DC for that as well. And um, that was the year we got to meet with Arnie Duncan and, oh, yeah. and um, people in education there. So that, that was kind of an amazing event as well and got to meet other school districts around the nation that had won the same, same similar award. And then um, after that, 2018 uh, won the National uh, the National Distinguished Principal Award and um, got to go back in, to Washington, D.C. and uh, uh, got to meet a whole bunch of amazing uh, principals back then. Uh, kind of interesting. We um, 
had a meeting with Betsy DeVos and it was probably half an hour before we were going to meet her and, and uh, guess who didn't mm. show up? Mm. Oh, Betsy. Show up. No. And so that was kind of upsetting, but um, got to meet so many different amazing people from, I'm still in, still in contact with several of those uh, principals that, that had won and just amazing to watch. Some of these principals just take off. Like they're, some of them are now national authors and, um, I actually got to bring a couple of them to the state of Montana through my association to come speak to us. And um, just recently, this last year, we had Andy Jacks, who uh, I won the, the award the same year he did and got to meet him. And he came and talked about behavior uh, in Montana this last year. So uh, just the ability to connect with people, I guess, has been the most amazing part of, of, of some of these awards. So um, again, right place, right time. And I'm um, uh, just fortunate to, to be nominated for these awards. Well, I tell you, man, uh, what I what I love about you the most is you are super humble. Like when I was looking at your Facebook post, it didn't say anything, nothing about those awards. Um, you know, maybe for somebody else, that would have been like the highlighting point of who you are. But um, what I really love about you, John, is, you know, that's that's not who you are. Those awards, um, you're more of what you do. So I'm super excited to get to talk um, about your idea. Um, I already know what the idea, so uh, I don't want to spoil it for everybody else, but I, let's just say I 100% agree. Um, so, John, let's jump into our first segment, which is one of my favorite parts of the show, and that's always the two for two, and that's where um, I get to ask you two questions that have nothing to do with the edusphere, and then you get to ask me. Um, I'll be honest, you know, this would be much cooler if we were at a bar um, having these two for two questions and, uh, I'm going to take you up on that. I promise you. Um, and so, you know, we will get that done. Um, but number one question for me, and I kind of, I kind of asked this because I, I have my own theory. Um, but what is your go-to dance move? <laughs> that is great. I am all about making people laugh, to be honest. I don't do it to be cool. I do it to make people laugh. So I have really worked hard on all the stupid ones. I can do the shopping cart. Oh, uh, sure. The sprinkler. I, I, I can do all those. I probably have about 15 of those stupid moves. Uh, the, the basketball shot, the being able to hike a football, all put into um, dance moves. And so those are all my go-to ones, and they're only done to make people laugh. And it, yeah. it takes a lot for those to come out. Well, I'll tell you, my, my wife, I married, uh, she was on the high school dance team, and then she went to college at L, which is University of Louisville, um, and they've got this really famous uh, street of bars called Fourth Street, so she has done her uh, share of dancing, so my wife is the dancer in the family. I, however, am not. However, I can do a really good stanky leg. <laughs> I, I can do a really good stanky leg and and um the lawnmower that's that's probably my number one that's my go-to yep. but i'm definitely a dad <laughs> now this next one a little more serious um maybe a little more serious but i'm still intrigued if you were to run for president what would be your campaign slogan wow well yeah yeah that's I always get lots of people asking my political affiliation all the time. And I dodge that like, like a bullet all the time. I, I will never answer that straight out with people. Um, what I do say is uh, I vote for education. Sure. So I am a huge proponent of public education and I have been fighting for public education, um, you know, since I started my career 22, 23 years ago. And I've just seen this, um, attack, I guess is what it is, on public education, on what we built our country around. And um, the, the fact that, that, that it's being torn away at, I feel, especially in Montana. Um, Kentucky it, too. Hurts, hurts my heart, um, but it also makes me think about what we could have. Yeah. I mean, I look at how much money we stick into all these other aspects in society in the United States. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to say anything, you know, negative towards any other aspect, you know, like defense or putting it into um, immigration. I mean, you could get super controversial real fast, and right. I don't want to do that. But I do want people to understand those dollar signs that are going out there that we could actually, you know, I'm not saying money is the only thing that would 
solve education. I'm not saying that. I'm saying great ideas with that money though. There is no reason why every kid can't have um, uh, access to the internet. There's no reason why every kid can't have uh, a, a, a device across the nation. We can build this elaborate roadway system across the United States um, and there's no reason why we can't build the same thing, same type of roadway with, with internet and access. Um, just doing that is going to level the playing field a little bit, but it's also going to take our nation somewhere else. Um, you, you can't imagine. I know you, you were just talking about earlier uh, the ability for broadband to be out into rural schools in Kentucky. Well, we have the same thing in Montana, man. Yeah. We have some, there are some places in Montana and Eastern Montana. And sometimes I make fun of Eastern Montana and call it North Dakota, but Eastern Montana, uh, there's a couple towns where it's 40 to 50 miles apart between the towns and there is nothing. There isn't right. even a street light or a lamp or anything between those cities. In fact, uh, Jordan, Montana is the furthest location away from any Starbucks in North America. Oh, wow. Um, isn't that crazy? Uh, and so that's in Montana, but that, that section of road out there, I've driven that several times. Um, you drive forever. And um, so I guess going back to your question about what I would do, I would stick all my eggs in one basket. Uh, well, it, it affects everything. Education affects every other, um, affects the economy of a, of, a, of a state, of a community, and it, it creates uh, people that, um, want to be civic minded and uh, help support not only education, but other jobs uh, that education is connected to because um, we're connected to every single other job. And so I really think if one of these presidents would actually stick more emphasis on, on education itself and what we could have in our country, um, man, I think public education uh, is, is something that could take us further for sure. Oh man, that, that's that's an A plus answer, absolutely for sure, for sure, and I agree with everything you said. Uh, all right, John, what questions you got for me? Okay, so this one, um, little, I can't I'm a little wait. nervous. Yeah, this one I, I can't wait for your wife to hear. Actually. Oh God! So the question is, what's it going to take uh, for me to be able to show your wife for jobs? What is it going to take for her to see that Montana is the place for you to be? <laughs> well, ah, that's a tricky question. So, um, well, I don't know. I do not know. I do not know. Um, I bring it up all the time. I know. I know. Like, we are super tight with all of our family. And I think that is probably the only thing hindering um a movement of this mag a move of this magnitude is just you know she's super close with her family her family's super close with my kids i'm pretty close with my family as well and um just you know long distance relationships are tough um when i was in high school um i remember trying to date a girl that you know lived like a couple hours away and it just didn't work i'm not saying it couldn't work um, and not saying that it won't ever work. Um, but right now, I don't know. I'll tell you, I value my, my marriage very much. Uh, we have been married, we have been married 12 beautiful years. Um, but there's no telling what could happen when our kids, you know, move out. Um, I just wrote this article and you're going to have to read it. It's, uh, eight reasons uh, you need to think about before you move. Um, I didn't write it for you, but it definitely fits the conversation <laughs> that, we, that we just talked about. It's uh, eight, eight factors that, that you should think about as you move. Cause I, I, I got, you know, I moved during, during COVID and I moved away from my family and I'm, I'm here in, in Great Falls this weekend, visiting my dad who's in the hospital. And uh, it's, it's making me think about, you know, why I moved. And then I thought, man, this would be actually a great article to have everybody think about when they make that big change. Um, you know, are you thinking about these eight things? Are you going because of, uh, you know, you're going for money, you're going for a job, you're going uh, closer to someone you love. Uh, are you leaving your, your, your support base and all that? Sure, and so sure. um, I can't wait to publish it for you, buddy, but I am sure that uh, you're not going to be able to pass maybe six or eight of those questions on there. So <laughs> you're, you're make sure you tag me in it. I will <laughs> make sure you tag me in it. You know, um, 
I, you know, I have landed, I landed two years in a district that, that I really, I, I can say I really like my district. Um, I really like being a, a high school AP. Um, it's, I'll be honest, going from a principal job to an AP job, a lot less stress, and I can focus on relationships with my high schoolers. But um, I'd be lying if I said, and everybody knows that I have bigger aspirations. Um, eventually, I would love to be able to be the leader of a school in a district that doesn't mind thinking outside of the box, doesn't mind, um, you know, looking at maybe other, like, like, like thinking about reimagining what elementary schools look like, reimagining what kindergarten should be instead of what it is. Um, all of these big ideas that we talk about on my podcast, um, I would love to land in a district that just says, Ryan, we trust you. Um, we'll let you do it for two years and we'll talk at the end of that two years. And if it does, if it's not working, then we'll talk then if it is working, then, you know, keep going kind of that autonomy that, that every teacher wants, I'd say, I would say most principals want as well. Um, especially if people take the time to like, like, like I'm talking personally, but especially if people take the time to know the heart of their people. So like I've got some amazing teachers. I know they are all in it for kids. They love their kids. They want their kids to succeed. Um, I'm probably, I'll be honest, I'm probably going to let them do whatever they want in their classroom. I'm probably not ever going to look at their lesson plans because I trust them. Um, however, when I start to look at that assessment data, um, if I start to see trends in the downward, then we'll have conversations. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm going to jump in and I'm going to take the reins of the ship. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the reason why I ask that is because there's at some point I would love to work with you. I just there's just there's just some people that we've met, Ryan, over the last couple of years where you're like, man, I'd like to work with that guy. I and mean, you're and you're one of them. So someday, man, we'll 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 choose a place. Okay. <laughs> appreciate that. I appreciate that more than you know. More than I can express. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So my this question two is kind of a two-part question. Okay. Now it kind of goes with what I told you about with, uh, you should have named, uh, your, your podcast. I wanted you to make sure you put bourbon in the name of it, but you didn't. <laughs> so here it is. You got some bourbon. Okay. You're going to have to name your favorite bourbon. That's the first part of this question. And you make, you have, a you pour two glasses, one for yourself and one for someone else. Who is it that would sit there? Who would you like to meet and share bourbon with and have a conversation? Okay, so uh, Weller's, that is my bourbon. Weller's uh, is from the same kind of company that makes uh, Pappy Van Winkle. Um, Weller's is a, is a weeded bourbon, so it's a little bit tamer. Uh, I know those whiskeys that you drink out there in the West are straight rye, like grab you by the, by the yarbles, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but Weller's is a little bit more subtle. Um, I'll be honest. I knew I liked this guy. Um, I, I knew I liked this guy and I liked this guy's policies and I liked, um, a lot about him, but then I started reading, let's see, I just, I'm just about done with his latest book. Um, and I've been listening to his podcast with, uh, Bruce Springsteen and that's Barack Obama. Um, if you have not if anybody's out there into podcasts, which obviously you are, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Um, but I would, I would challenge you to listen to renegades. It is with Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Um, it is just phenomenal, uh, to hear just how vulnerable both of those guys get about their lives, how genuine I think Obama, Barack Obama is, um, how misunderstood I think he was and still is. Um, and then after this book that I'm reading, I can't remember the name of it, but it's his newest book that just came out. Um, he talks a lot about the policy decisions behind uh, the ACA and some of his other things and kind of what was going on behind the scenes. And I, I just feel like he would be a just 
super real, genuine dude. Um, that it's just, it's almost like a dude that got into politics. He didn't realize he ever wanted to get into politics. Um, yeah, I just really like him. I would love to, to pick his brain. Fantastic. That's a great answer. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. All right, man. So let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, now that I know even more about you and you know, even more about me, uh, we are going to start to get into kind of what the uh, stated purpose of all this, this whole rigmarole thing of a podcast is. Um, the stated purpose of the Big Ed idea is to connect the vision of one with the passions of another. Um, Simon Sinek said it really well. He said, not everybody has to have the vision. Um, sometimes it just takes people connecting their passions with somebody else's visions to get true change uh, starting. So first, before we jump into your idea, I'm intrigued and I'm, I'm guess, I, I guess I want to know what is kind of a problem that you see or the problem that kind of created your idea? Sure. Um, big, huge push right now, especially with pandemic, but uh, I don't know, I would say just in the last four to five years with social emotional learning. Everybody out there is talking about it. Um, we all need it. We all need to understand it. We all need to implement programs to be able to help support kids. And um, that's my problem is the fact that so many of these districts are looking at programs and saying, hey, I got a program. I'm good. We're good to go. We're going to do that program. And that's all there is to it. And that's the furthest answer away from what is needed with our kids right now. Um, the ability to communicate social emotional learning is not a program. It is a lifestyle. It is a common vocabulary. It is uh, the way you teach. It, is, uh, it should be ingrained in everything you do as soon as you walk into a school. And those schools that get it, you can see it in yeah. the first five minutes of walking into a school. You can see it in the first five minutes of a conversation that's had between a student and a teacher, between a teacher and another teacher, between a community member that walks into the school and uh, talks to somebody, uh, that, a staff member. Um, that first five minutes lets you know um, that they value the words they use with everybody. And so um, as you dig deeper into social emotional learning, uh, you start understanding that, that there is a whole bunch of components that go with it. And it can't just be a program that we do from 9.30 to 10.15 on Tuesdays. And that's unfortunately what a lot of school districts are doing right now. And uh, they're sorely gonna have um, social emotional problems going forward if, if, if they don't start seeing the bigger picture. And so um, there's states across uh, the United States, uh, I think there's up to 21 states now that require some type of social emotional learning program in their school district. And so again, their legislature is pushing that out saying that they have to teach it and it has to be part of their programming. And uh, uh, Montana, I think is doing a great piece of it. We're always behind everybody else. We kind of let everyone else implement stuff and then we kind of sit back and and make look at them, you let them make the mistakes <laughs> yeah well you and look at what's being implemented and how to implement it and so instead of coming up with um you know requirements from our state they're coming up with um competencies yeah. uh, for for teachers to be able to use and implement and it's not just a program it is yeah. in everything we do and they're creating a common vocabulary statewide which we have a lot of kids that bounce back and forth between school districts probably like you do within inside oh, yeah. your state absolutely and, uh, we're all going to be able to use some of the same language um, and maybe even some of the same strategies uh, across the state and be able to understand them and so I think uh, even though we're behind everybody else and the implementation of social emotional learning um, I, I feel like uh, we're not pushing a program um, per se, but we're, we're pushing a, a, a lifestyle that's kind of integrated into everything we do as, as, as educators. Nice. So I'm going to go back to something you said, you, you, you said you could walk in, you could see it. Um, I want to take that a step further. Like 
for me, I'm a huge, huge, huge first impressions person um, for better or worse. And I don't know about you, but how many times have you walked into a classroom and you can just feel it? Like it's not even something that you can see. It's not even something tangible. Like there's just this aura in that classroom that you just, they've got it. There, there is something there. You can't put your finger on it, but it's almost like it's a feeling of family. Um, and I want to hit on something you said about the, the um, programs. And this is probably a little controversial, but if someone needs a program to connect with their kids, um, I don't want this to sound brash, but maybe education or being in front of students isn't their purpose. Does that make sense? Like, like I don't mean that to be harsh, but what I mean, and and I guess let me explain myself a little bit more, but, and it goes back to my feeling that um, connection should always come before the content. So if you, if you solely got into teaching because you really love math or you really love science or you really love reading, um, I hate to say it, but those teachers are a thing of the past. And that, that education system is a thing of the past. And I think what you're hitting on, John, it is one of my big ideas is that the role of school has changed so much um, to whereas schools have to be pushing those SEL components because so many of our kids are coming to them, coming to us without them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right on. I think, um, you know, a, a program is going to help to a certain level. Obviously, it gives people um, <laughs> curriculum and content to be able to teach, and hopefully it builds on other, other people. But the ability to connect with people, uh, man, if you're a teacher and don't know how to connect with kids, um, connect with other adults, uh, education is definitely not the place for you. So that's the piece that we really have to work on is, is being able to give those teachers that struggle with uh, making um, relationships and making connections, giving them more strategies, more tools to be able to, to do that. And so, um, man, um, some of the people, I guess, that I, I really um, latched on to over the last couple of years um, with social emotional learning and um, especially with working with trauma. Uh, I've worked a lot with um, recently here in some of the schools that I've been in with, uh, with um, trauma. And uh, Bruce Perry is a, a national researcher uh, that has dealt with it a lot. Um, Stacy York Nation is another one of my, um, got, got to be a close friend, but she does amazing work based off of uh, a lot of uh, Bruce Perry stuff. And then obviously Kristen Hall, uh, Kristen Sowers and Pete Hall, who have uh, written a book about resiliency and um, a lot with tr trauma. And uh, one of the pieces of, that they all talk about is the ability to be invested rather than, than just being informed. So we have a lot of, uh, if you, there's, a, there's, there's a continuum that is that kind of puts this whole timeline or this whole uh, transition, I guess, that you would say of schools, uh, especially with social emotional learning, it, it kind of puts it in perspective. And so, um, you know, a, a school can start off with um, not even not even understanding that there's trauma going on in their school. That's the lowest level. They don't, they, they're, they're, they're non-believers in, in helping kids. They're all about teaching from page one to page 75, right? And that's it. And then you have people that are uh, trauma uh, in informed. They understand, uh, you know, what's going on. Uh, they know that they have to address trauma. Um, and then the, the top level is is being trauma invested. And so sure. trauma invested school is the piece that you are working proactively to help support kids build their toolbox of social learning and to be able to work through um, a lot of their a lot of the trauma that they have. Now, obviously, educators don't have all that uh, therapeutic um, education for us to be able to do that. But there are a lot of things we can do as educators to help support those kids. Uh, had a couple kids this last year that uh, 
you know, Kate had a lot of trauma in their life with um, some, there's a, a murder, a murder in their family. There was some other deaths in their family and the whole family um, had been through a ton of trauma. And so we were working with that family and we got them into our um, CSCT program, which is a therapeutic program. It's a company based outside of our school that actually works inside of our school and uh, got them into uh, trauma-informed cognitive behavior therapy. Oh, that cool. was like our highest, our highest level of, of, of support. So we've really worked hard at coming up with a multi-tiered system of support. You know, you have tier one, tier two, tier three. Well, we, we felt like this was a tier four. This is for the kids that, that uh, man, are, are, have been through so much trauma that they need specialized help that us as educators can't do. Um, but we can team with those therapists, therapists and be able to team with them to make sure that we are supporting them in the work that th they're doing with their therapists back in the classrooms. And so that's the piece that we don't have in, in, America, in a lot of American schools is, is that ability to work with um, therapists at a higher level. And, and nothing against school counselors. We have fantastic school counselors, but this is a higher level. This is like therapy from a therapist and getting into some, you know, some, some deep-seated uh, trauma work. And um, we, we need support of our health, health officials across the, across the nation. We need to increase this. Uh, I think as you talked earlier about if I was president, what I would do, well, this is another aspect of education where I'd make it uh, a lot easier for kids and adults in our school systems to access uh, mental health support. And uh, through mental health support, man, you're, you're, hitting one of those Maslow levels That's right. of That's right. hierarchy. And if, if we don't do that, we're just going to keep pushing content and it's, it's not going to get in. And so um, that's, I guess that's another area that, uh, that I think fits right into what we're talking about with social emotional learning. So if you were to sum up your uh, big ed idea into maybe one or two sentences, what would it be? Sure. Social emotional learning is not a program. It is a lifestyle. It is how you teach, it's, and it's, it's what we need to be doing with our kids uh, every day. No matter what we do during a lesson, how we teach a lesson, um, how we support kids face-to-face, -face, uh, even through, um, man, Zoom right now, we're trying to figure out how we can continue with helping support our kids with social emotional learning. Um, so that, I mean, didn't really summarize very well, Ryan. No, you Sorry, did. But, no, you um, absolutely did, John. Um, man, two, two, one sentence in particular really hit me in the chest, um, and really knocked me back a bit. Um, and it was your, your comment, trauma informed versus trauma invested. That really kicked me in the mouth. And the reason I'm saying that is when I was an elementary principal, um, I was very adamant of, of getting all of my teachers trauma informed, um, worked at a very, our, we had some very needy kids and in some very, very, very poor conditions. And I think the teachers knew where they were coming from, but I don't think they understood the connection between uh, the kids' behaviors and the home life. Um, some of them did, and, you know, some of them didn't. And so I had them all, uh, you know, we all sat around and watched some trauma-informed videos, and then we talked about it and stuff like that. But... Um, that next piece that you said, trauma invested, that's huge to me. Um, it's one thing to know about it, right? but it's another thing to know about it and then want to do something about it. That's like, to me, you know, that's like, you know, you and I are very big on servant leadership. To me, trauma invested is kind of like, you know, I say hashtag walking the gospel, um, it, it, it's not so much to just read the scripture. You have to actually live it out. And so, yep. you know, yes, I know my kids and I know my kids are coming in trauma, but what am I doing on the daily to serve those students to get them through that trauma um, while I have them, while I'm fortunate to have them in my building so that hopefully by the time they have left our district, they are better off because of those supports right you're right on i think that's a piece where we see districts all the time touting that they're trauma-informed which is fantastic we have to get that piece we have to get to trauma-informed and how we can deal with our kids um that are they're dealing with all the aces 
and dealing with trauma. Um, but the next level up is that trauma invested. It's the proactive nature that you create with your staff and your community to be able to tackle it. Like, what are we gonna give our kids at the foundation level to be able to handle trauma? Because it's a reality. We're all gonna have some type of trauma in our life at some point. And it's one thing to be resilient, but it's the second thing to be able to understand that trauma and to be able to help support our kids. Um, education has changed so much from what we've asked our educators to do inside of our buildings. Yeah. This is a that we have to tackle. It can't just be, you know, your uh, a therapist. I mean, how many kids can go to a therapist? Well, you know, it's really difficult if you don't have insurance to be able to get that kind of services. Or a vehicle. So, yeah, well, that too. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, so I, th I think as educators, I think that's one of the things that we need to change some of our college around too. We yeah. need our teachers coming out of colleges to be able to understand trauma a little bit more and to be able to put some of these um, social emotional uh, tools in their toolbox and use these strategies right away with kids. Um, you know, one of the first things that I dealt with as a student teacher uh, in, in Alaska was was a student whose whose parent died. And I I didn't get that in college. Like, no. what the hell was I supposed to do? Right. Um, so and that was 23 years ago. And I, I let my, my supervising teacher help support that piece of it and wonder what to do. But nowadays, uh, man, we have, we have trauma like that stuff happening all the time in our classrooms. And uh, to be able to, uh, to, to address it and give them skills and strategies uh, to continue uh, is, has got to be one of our jobs too. Oh, I 120,000% agree with you. Um... And one of my first five episodes, I don't remember which one, but I had uh, Dr. Bob Barr on and uh, he has studied high performing, high poverty schools for literally 40 years. Um, and he actually lives out in Idaho. So he's out in your neck of the woods. Um, but he talks about building a culture of hope in your school and building a culture of resiliency um, as a way for these kids to overcome this trauma. Um, and I've said this before, but I'm convinced and, and I am determined that when I get my doctorate, what I want to study is this idea of the hope coefficient. Um, so it's much like, you know, we can measure a kid's A scores and that kind of tells us, you know, which kids that we need to really watch out for that are probably going to probably going to act out a little bit more, might have some future health issues, might have some future mental health issues. Um, but I have this idea that we can also measure a student's resiliency. And if we can measure it, then there are tangible things that we can do within the school building and within the school community to raise that kid's hope coefficient so that he can overcome that A score. Um, so, yeah, that is, I'll tell you, an ACEs. Um, I'm convinced also after all this COVID stuff, um, that's going to be a question on the ACE exam. Um, did you live during 2021? And if you did, then guess what? You've got an ACE score. Yeah. Um, you might have heard me say this statistic, but I read it a couple of weeks ago and it blew my mind. Um, one of my other interests is poverty and children of poverty and how that affects ACEs and everything we're talking about today. Um, but a, a student that lives in poverty has a two times is two times more likely to have an A score of three or more, which that's the first piece. Here's the kicker though. Uh, um, a student that has an A score of three or more is 32 times more likely to struggle academically. So then I take it and go backwards. So instead of working on the academics with these kids specifically, let's work on the A scores. And I guarantee it, you work on that A score first without doing any of the academic stuff, you're going to see the academics uh, rise just as a byproduct. Exactly. That is, that's my whole point right there, Ryan, is, the, is that, that piece of it. Some of these school districts are going to get this federal money, and guess what they're going to do? They're going to buy a program, right? They're going to put a whole bunch of money into programs. And so that's what I fear. I, I fear... That we're going to have a lot of school districts across the nation that have all these social emotional learning programs and they can check off a box 
well, it's not a box to check, man. You got to get after it. And it's that piece of being uh, informed, right? Everyone can read a program, but it's what we do. It's what we do as educators that's going to make us invested to get back into that uh, program and be able to to live it, like you said, and, and to be able to to make sure all of our staff understand it. And it's not just our teachers, but it's a, it's our janitor in the hallway. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's our lunchroom lady who's who's uh, who's helping serve food, you know, and so it's not just us getting after it with our teachers to be able to do the classrooms. It's it's our whole environment of, of, of our school district that needs to understand that we need to be invested going forward. Love it. I'll tell you one of the things that, that really ticks me off are the, the predatory, um, almost the predatory nature of some of these educational companies um, that have swooped in, you know, you're an administrator, I'm an administrator, how many freaking emails do I get a day from all of these software companies or textbook companies telling me they've got the, the wave of the future. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree, man, like, like SEL. Okay, yes, there are some frameworks that you should, but it's not in a box. Um, it's in your heart. It's the way you live out. It's the, it's the words you speak every day. It's the actions that you take every day. Um, I guess I kind of harbor it or liken it to um, reading instruction. So, um, you know, there was a time when phonics was the, that was the way. That was how every kid in America learned to read. Phonics was the way. And for the most part, kids learned to read pretty quickly. Um, and then textbook companies got on board and they made reading into a one, two, three year thing. Um, one of my best years as an educator, best two or three years was when I literally used a phonics system that was written in 1978 um, to teach kids to read. And they learned to read in 12 weeks, um, just, just going old school. Um, so sometimes, you know, the new best, brightest, shiniest object that, that somebody tries to throw at your school system um, isn't the best. I think we need to take it, just take it back to the basics, man. Like be a good person, love your kids, do whatever it takes to get that kid to the next level. Um, and at the end of the day, school is not all about academics and it's okay to say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this kind of goes right into a book that I've, um, I've started to write with Travis Niemeyer out of Billings, Montana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, close, close colleague of mine, and uh, we team on so many different projects, but this idea that we had that uh, kind of goes right along with this is um, the concept of the first five. The first five is is a series of basically going to be like, like rubrics. Like, what do you notice when you walk into a school in the first five minutes? Um, what can you do as a principal in the, the, the first five minutes with your kids? What are the first five activities you do as staff? Um, this whole concept of first five talks about basically introductions um, is, is, is a lot of it, but it's how you set the tone for everything else that you do and how much power we can have by planning and preparing um, our words and actions uh, with with people and with and with our students and, and with our community, um, and so again, this all you know is centered around this idea of of the words we choose for social emotional learning, and um, I, I I can't wait to get into it deeper. Um, Travis is such an amazing uh, educator who inspires his kids and his um, his school and his area like 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 nobody else, and um, he's just energetic and 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 contagious and so um we, ha we have some chapters written we've already submitted it to a couple places and we have some you know some prospects i guess of being able to get going forward with it so we're excited about it we just gotta we just gotta find time to to, to finish it up so nice i get it yeah time is uh, uh that's the thing isn't it <laughs> uh yeah i've been I've, I've been kicking around a couple writing prospects but you know i don't right now who knows um but i kind of want to wind us down um i'll tell you i have got that feeling um i call it my goosebump moments um i used to tell my kindergarten students that you know it was one of those moments like the kid reads for the first time and you get this goosebump or you know this kid um 
he's been in the office. He's screaming and yelling uh, for three days straight. And then the fourth day he comes in and he's just an angel. It's just one of those like awesome aha moments. So I just want to thank you because I love this conversation that we've had. Um, pretty, pretty much embodies my beliefs around the education system. And I'm super hopeful that those kids out in Corvallis are getting exactly what they need. Um, John, the uh, Conan, the librarian uh, is, uh, is a servant and it's pretty, pretty dang apparent. So I appreciate everything that you do, man, for those kids out there. Um, I appreciate you for our friendship. Um, man, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Well, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me to come aboard on your uh, new podcast piece. You, you've done an amazing job so far. Uh, I can't wait to do a Zoom session with your wife, let her know about some <laughs> of the job, uh, the, the, the job prospects out here in Montana. And uh, we'll have to do that next. So, so yeah. thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, to all my listeners, I want to thank you once again um, from the bottom of my heart. No, I'm going to go lower than that. From the bottom of my feet, I want to tell you thank you so much for walking along this journey with me. Uh, I don't really know what episode this is going to be, somewhere around the 15, 16, something like that. So um, if you are one of those that have stuck around and have listened to me for multiple episodes, I just want to thank you very, 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 very much. Um, as someone that definitely suffers from imposter syndrome, um, knowing that you take your time and spend your precious time with me to listen to my crazy ideas and some of the crazy ideas of all those folks out there around the United States uh, just means a lot to me, and I really appreciate it. Um, and in closing, like we've been doing lately, I'm going to read to you a quote about dreaming. Do what you think you can't do. And so for that, I just want to thank you once again for coming and being a guest, Mr. John. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you are doing. Uh, God bless you and keep changing that world. Thanks, Ryan. Great thank work. You. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody else, I will see you on the next time. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>